Hey everybody and welcome to episode 97 of Metallicast, the Metallica podcast. I am your host and fellow Metallica fan. My name is Brandon and I am joined by one of my favorite people, music journalist extraordinaire, the one, the only, Miss Kristen S. Hello. I am honored to be joining one of my favorite people on one of my favorite podcasts. Well, thank you. And uh, I feel like I should start by saying, welcome, won't you come inside? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> we are gathered here today to talk about everything and anything about the new Megadeth album, The Sick, The Dying, and The Dead. We are, we talked about it uh, last time we met, uh, but we are still so excited about it, we decided to do a part two. Well, we only talked about The Sick the last time, you know, this episode is about The Dying, and next, the next one's about The Dead. <laughs> it's, a, it's a trilogy. Mm. Um, I'm really looking forward to the third part because then we'll finally get to mission on mars which is my personal favorite Very off cool. the new album wow. thank you thank you <laughs> um no last time we met was uh on this here podcast i should say yeah. it was i think back in december um metallica had announced 72 seasons the n72 world tour uh, they had released Lux Eterna, and literally like an hour or two before we started recording, they released Screaming Suicide. Um, and we kind of did an overview of the new Megadeth album and all the exciting Metallica announcements. And then I disappeared for a while yet again. I <laughs> disappeared. Yes. Yes. Um, you know, it's been a wacky year, as Lars Ulrich would say. Um, but uh, uh, all good stuff. Bought a house. I moved. Mm work kids you know the usual um mm -hmm. but i am back and hopefully here to stay um you're not getting an episode a week i can tell you that unfortunately <laughs> but my goal is uh an episode a month too if i can make it happen um i want to start getting back in the saddle and what better way to do that than celebrating the release because last time like i said we had two songs now we have the full 77 minutes of 72 seasons to dissect and ponder and discuss. And um, I'm super excited to do so with you. Yeah, it's like um, it's like a solar eclipse, you know, happens every eight or so years at this point. <laughs> yeah. I mean, depending on how you define studio albums. Right. Also, I mean, the first time in the history of this podcast that... We are reviewing a brand new Metallica album, and I'm honored to be in your space doing that with you. And thank you for joining me, which is kind of crazy, right? Because this podcast has mm -hmm. been, I've lost track. This might be year five. I'm not sure. But it's, you know, uh, when Metallica released Hardwired to Self-Destruct, they said, you're not going to have to wait another eight years. And they mm -hmm. were true to their word. We waited seven. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean... <laughs> In fairness to the boys, there's a lot going on in between. You know, we got uh, we had a tour, we had SM2, we've had uh, you know, this and that. It's there's never a dull moment in Metallica land these days, but still, mm. 
seven years as a wait. And uh, but you know what? In my humble opinion, the wait is almost always worth it. Absolutely, absolutely. I always wonder. You know, there's those artists that just I feel like they put out like you know three albums a year. And there's hmm. something to be said about being like super prolific. But I think no matter how talented you are, there's a point where you just get like quantity over quality. Totally. And the the thing I do appreciate with Metallica, even though I, of course I would love more frequent releases by my favorite band, is that when the album does finally come, it's an event. It feels important and it feels like a big deal because millions of people have been waiting for this moment either to celebrate or to hate on it but millions of people have been waiting for this moment yeah it's always super impactful and like i feel like it's not just like marketing and promotion and like advertising and stuff i feel like everything i do it feels like very owned you know whether it's yeah. like for hardwired playing like in record stores or um this time with like the four pre-release singles and um the like global streaming event in cinemas yeah um it all feels like a piece and it all makes sense you know and also you don't have to like pay more than you want to experience right. it it's yeah, all like yeah. kind of optional you know yeah and you know they i was curious how the build up to the release would be because if you remember when hardware to self-destruct came out i think it was like 24 or 48 hours before the album. They were like, oh, by the way, we recorded a music video for every song. Here yeah. they are. And they just like yeah. released them all online. Um, and that was really cool. So when they announced the, uh, you know, the, the hype machine was in full effect. And the, the week leading up to it was a lot of fun. You know, they did Jimmy Kimmel all week. They did Howard Stern. And, of course, like you said, they had the global listening party, which I went to, you went to. Yes. How was that experience for you? Amazing. I mean, again, people will complain, oh, you're just paying $20 <laughs> to hear an album in cinema. And yeah. I'm like, yeah, that's the point. Yeah. And yeah, it's yeah. fucking awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and there's a simple solution. Yeah. Don't, you don't have to spend the money. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You can go on YouTube and listen to the whole album for free. These yeah. days, which you yeah, yeah. Do, um, 2008. Right. But, um, I found that experience to be so cool. Like, to be honest, yeah, they it didn't add a lot of exclusive content. Um, it yeah. was really just like the intro to the night and like the band's like um, little like discussions between songs and stuff. Um, but to me, that's like all it needed because the album really, just the whole experience of listening to the album speaks for itself. It's immersive. Yeah. You're in there with other fans and like, it's a first impression of this album that you're never going to forget. Like you'll always have right, that memory. Yeah. yeah. And it's worth it for that alone. And I mean, we're now two weeks into having this album. And when I playing the album in my car at home, wherever it may be, um, you know, as I, as the tracks unfold, I, I'm thinking back to the listening party. I'm like, Oh, I remember, <laughs> you know, hearing sleepwalk my life away for the first time and seeing that yeah. music video and, it was just such a cool experience. Um, I was able to go with a couple buddies too, um, and which was interesting too because you know they know I'm excited. They know Metallica's <laughs> my favorite band. Yeah. Uh, um, they're gonna joke that I'm gonna like it no matter what, and there's some truth to that maybe. Mm -hmm. But 
appreciate it no matter what. I yes, think. yes, yes. Appreciate it no matter what. Um, and but it was interesting to see you know their feedback on the album too and experience it with them as more uh, like casual fans. Mm. And yeah, uh, I... and and for the record, mm. positive positive reviews from both. Yeah, that's the impression I got at my screening as well. Like, I couldn't tell who exactly was, like, super hardcore. But, like, everyone, you know, everyone there would have gone to, like, a metallic show. Yeah, Obviously, yeah. Like, to me, that's the demographic. So let me ask you, did people react at the end of songs? Yes. Yeah, okay. applause at the end of every song. So, like, um, in, in my theater, mm. you know, it starts, there's an excitement in the air, there's a buzz. The video for 72 Seasons plays, it comes to an end. And the theater is dead silent. I think because people are like, you know, afraid to react at a movie yeah, theater. Yeah. So I just go, wow. I, I, I started it and everybody's like, yeah. And then, so then, you know, shadows follow happens. And at the same thing, it's like, people are kind of like looking around like, can, can we, can we? And so I'm just like, yeah. So then everybody else started cheering. And then from that point on, I didn't have to initiate. People just, rolled with it you know but it was interesting sure. to see like you know which songs got like more thunderous uh yeah, ovations yeah. than others and stuff and it was a really cool experience it was so cool and um it's interesting because like obviously they did play the music videos during the event although yeah. not all of them like some of yeah. them were yeah, yeah. more like visualizers um some of them subsequently have had full music videos released like Room yeah. of Mirrors um, at the show was right. this visualizer of like pixel art kind of like a yeah. Bosch painting yeah. done with pixel art scrolling down showing right. the band showing the fans like which was such a cool album. video yeah it was and awesome. then I think like the next day when the album came out they yeah. were like here's the video for Room of uh, you know Room of Mirrors and it was a completely yeah. different video and I was like what <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think the other ones exist, but also there are like different lyric videos as well. Yeah. So, I mean, if you yeah. go to their YouTube page, there's lyric videos in pretty much every language. There are ASL yeah. videos, which is really cool for mm. sign language. And then there are, you know, the performance videos. official music videos. Yeah, the performance yeah. videos. And, um, but, you know, now there's alternative videos that were in the theatrical you know one and it, it, it's interesting how they did that but yeah I, I remember wondering what to expect with the visual aspect of it then when shadows follow started i was like okay mm -hmm. this is not going to be just like video after video after video which yeah. you know made it interesting to see like which ones were paired with like performance videos and which ones were paired with more like visual yeah um, I noticed like a running theme going through it, which was a lot of, I mean, all the performance videos are like the band playing, but like surrounded by light and color, yeah. a lot of yellow, which is cool. Yeah. And all the kind of visualizer ones and some of the performance ones had a lot of shots of like landscapes, yeah. um, like the stars, the sky, um, and often, uh, shown through like kind of digital, like glitchy filters and stuff which I found really fascinating because yeah, yeah, yeah. to me it's like a more modern interpretation of the kind of like mountains of rock riffs that they're playing. Right. Yeah. It's very like, 
I was going to say Spinal Tap. It's not Spinal Tap, but it's very like, <laughs> it's a bit Stonehenge, you know. These are Stonehenge. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Carved out of the sides of, you know, mountains themselves. Yeah. And that was just a really fun experience. And it was fun, you know, to leave. When you're leaving there, it kind of felt like you're leaving like a concert. And uh, there was definitely like the excitement that was there at the beginning was still there at the end, 77 minutes later. Um, well, more than that, you know, with all the little interviews and stuff. And, uh, and it was, it was cool to get like a little bit of insight into each of the tracks and, you know, it might, as a Metallica nerd, you know, you obviously read through the track list and then you, you know, I read through some of the early reviews just out of curiosity and you get other people's perspective who have heard the album. And then, so to, I'm anticipating each song as before they come and then like to hear it with my own ears finally it's like it was just like so satisfying it really was it really really was yeah um and like a, the one of the most memorable ways to hear it for the first time like literally memorable like you're not yeah. gonna forget these songs after yeah seeing them in the theater even though it's like almost any minutes and like yeah what, like eight <laughs> or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 it was a really cool experience and then of course the next day the album mm-hmm. itself is released. Um, I I think the first day it came out, I listened to it, I think, three times all the way through. Um, That's it. Yeah. That I had, uh, I, I, I started on Apple Music in the car, and then at night had my, I, my physical copy of my CD, and I did something I've not done in a long time, which was I put a CD on, and then to go a step farther, I, I put my headphones on and I just yeah. listened. It's been years since I've done that with an album. Mm. Um, but with Metallica, I try to do it like at least once in my chaotic life. Um, mm. And this one I was able to. And it was, uh, it, you know, it, it was interesting to have like, you know, Thursday night, the movie experience with all these fans. And then Friday night have like this intimate headphone moment with the album and have like two different experiences with it over 24 hours. And, uh, I mean, I'm just going to come on and say it. Hmm? I am in love with this album. Same, same. It fucking slaps. (laughs) (laughs) Um, have you driven to it yet? I mean, I'm sure you have. Oh yeah. I mean, I, with moving to the new house, I have, uh, a very long commute to work now, which has been perfect timing with this album. Cause I can listen to it, uh, pretty much all the way through on, uh, on the way there and on the way home. And, um, so I've been listening to it like at least probably like twice a day in the last two uh, weeks. Um, I would expect no less. So, uh, um, but yeah, it was, so I, my first experience after the album was out was listening to it in the car on my way to work. And, uh, I mean, I was just like, I, I, I think I just sped the whole way and (laughs) I just had like these, there were several moments where I just had like these goosebump moments that I did not get in the movie theaters with everybody else, but like in my car Hmm. speeding to work, I had these goosebump moments, um, that, um, with, uh, with a couple tracks and then, uh, and then just this need as soon as it ended to like this like urge to like want to go back and then I had to wait till work was done. Yeah. And then it's like, exactly. all right, 
I immediately, you know, blasted on my way home and experience it again. And then I'm home and I'm, you know, got to do kids stuff and, you know, parenting stuff, all that. And then I'm like, all right, I'm going to sit down with this album and just like really like try to take it all in best I can. Um, and it just, the album has floored me. And, um, uh, I mean, the interesting thing to me about this album is that it almost constantly contradicts itself in a lot of ways. Yeah, no, that's true. Um, musically, it's, it, it, there's so many moments that like more than any other Metallica album borrows from their earliest influences of new mm. wave, British heavy metal, punk rock, like so obviously black yeah. Sabbath. So obviously in moments more so mm. than I think any other album they've ever done. Um, and, and then there are because yeah, yeah. with Kill em All, you could tell that they were like aping, well, aping their influences in a way that a young band does. And this feels different. It feels like a bit more purposeful in that way, but yes. also not contrived. Yeah. 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 And, and not like there's not a one moment where you can be like, oh, that, you know, that's pulling from Diamond Head. It's just like this overall. Mm-hmm feel on a song like screaming suicide that just has yeah. this like this shouts like new wave of british heavy metal um and by doing so they kind of create this they they create these they introduce these new sounds into their catalog mm. and so it's like they're referencing their earliest influences there's a lot of self references on the album musically and lyrically from like okay. you know their their past but yet it feels like it, it's it feels like they're moving forward it feels fresh it feels new and it feels like they're moving forward as a band rather than looking behind them lyrically it contradicts itself because it's like you have all this like dark all these dark concepts but it's filled with like hope and light and optimism mm. and it's just i i think that i'm like just always is contradicting itself in a in a really fun way. In some ways, and it's taken me uh, eight, almost 19 minutes to say this, in some <laughs> ways, this album is happy St. Anger. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, I knew there was going to be a lot of uh, St. <laughs> Anger talk in this episode, but deservedly so, because, Very you know, much. I think if, if somebody who had, was familiar with the metallic catalog had not heard this album yet. The best way mm. I can describe it is take the energy of kill em all. Yep. Mix it with the groove of load mm-hmm. with the vulnerability and ferocity of St. Anger. Totally. Totally. Because I mean, I, I don't know how much this album is actually about like the first 18 years of your life. I feel like James is really writing it from that perspective. Like it's yeah. more about him as an older man reflecting on some of these ideas and looking back and like embodying them now. Yeah. Basically like Lux Eterna makes sense for them. Now it's not like a kill em all era song. Right. If yeah. It's referencing that sound, but like he's drawing from that, um, which is also like some similar ideas that they talked about on St. Anger, like self-loathing addiction, 
Misery. Yeah. Um, that's by Friend of Misery, obviously. <sighs> yeah. um, but you also have this thing where, like, the individual riffs of this album are, like, not that complex, I would say, right? No. Um, but the way that every song is arranged is very intricate and very mm. detailed. Yeah. Um, they really, like, go for it in pretty much every single song. Maybe aside from Lux Turner, just because it's, like, four minutes long. Yeah. But it's like every song has like, you know, slow intro, uh, fast intro, yeah. main riff, first, yeah. chorus, yeah. first, chorus. Yeah. Um, a bridge a bridge section that like really develops and like so many of them end with like completely different like new riffs yeah. and stuff as well. And that's a Senanga thing. Yeah. I would say. Well, Senanga, Death Magnetic, Justice to a degree. Yeah. But um it feels like the level of like repetition and development comes from the same mindset it's just happier rather than like (laughs) james and everyone trying to punish themselves in the listeners you know yeah i agree with that i think you know i guess if you're an old school metallica fan only like first Mm -hmm. four albums five albums whatever your poison is i can understand you listening to this album and being either disappointed or a little confused because mm. the it's not like when you listen to a song like master puppets, you can tell the detail and attention that went into the composition of it. Like everything is so intricately done, whether it's the, the writing or the arranging or the performance of it, you can, it just feels like a very composed and fully realized piece of music um and that's not to take anything away from 72 seasons um but the songs sound like what they are which was Mm -hmm. songs that came more from jam room sessions where you're focusing more on like the mood the attitude and the overall feel rather than like the ink rather than like is this it, it doesn't sound necessarily like james hatfield sat in a room by himself and wrote a bunch of riffs. It sounds like he stood in a room with the rest of the band and jammed on a bunch of riffs. Yeah, I mean, it feels less, you know, like classically arranged in the way yeah. that Metallica albums like two to four yeah. feel. Um, I do feel like this in some ways is like the ultimate riff album yeah. because every song is built around riffs, like more so than even the vocals or the lyrics, mm-hmm. in my opinion. It's just like, the fucking riff factory but yeah the way they're arranged is just so fascinating yeah to me um because it's not always like a really logical flow sometimes you have songs where like they'll throw in something completely different in the middle and it's like Mm -hmm. cool okay (laughs) two for the price of one yeah or like five for the price of one or whatever yeah (laughs) but what's interesting is while i think you know St. Anger musically. I'm going to say something that's going to sound like a, a, a dig at the album, but I, I don't mean it that it sounds more disjointed in a lot of ways with how the songs are arranged mm. as opposed to like this album. It is sounds more. Um, I don't want to say thought out with arrangement, but perhaps that's the right way to say because, you know, Pro Tools was such a big instrument on St. Anger too with like yeah, yeah. cutting and pacing and just kind of like messing with the overall 
process of as to how they compose music and this one seems like you know they didn't use that as a tool it was probably just natural arrangement they came like oh let's play this riff after that riff and see if it sounds cool type thing you know um but it's it it flows like like the songs flow like old school metallica but it doesn't mm. sound like old school metallica i agree i agree i think you you won't mistake this for hardwired or even death magnetic no no but it's interesting like to see the how they progress from that from those two albums because mm. it, i feel like saint anger had to be a one and done album right yeah, it was just yeah. such a purge there is no way they could ever make a saint anger part 2 even if it had been like you know the success of the black album they and you know they, it, it could just <laughs> my it, it, it's my world now <laughs> it's my world <laughs> it's just no way like that album could happen again uh, organically yeah, yeah um and i feel like death magnetic came about uh because I'm 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 just putting words in their mouths now. This is like how I kind mm. of view it as a fan. I feel like they were like, "Where do we go from here?" Like we had this great purge. Exactly. Where do we go from here? And for the first time in their careers, they looked backwards, and that's why that album fits the formula of like those first four albums, because exactly. it's really them trying to like, it, they're like, in order to move forward, we have to go backwards this time, mm. and then from there, they were able to kind of get more in touch with the thrash element of their career, I think, and the more like traditional song structures and composition. But then they were like, you know what? We like to, we like the black album and load and reload. And they brought all those influences into hardware to self-destruct. And now all those influences carry over into 72 seasons, but done like in a way where it's just, like you said riff after riff and it's a heavy brutal uh challenging album to listen to in some ways for like its length because it doesn't let up there's no let up there's no there's as there's a lot of melody in the album there's a lot of catchy parts but there's no great big melodic inter salmon hook there's no ballad there's no there's not you don't get any clean guitar until like the final Mm. five minutes of the record it's just you know it's just Boom, boom. It just hits you over the head. And that way, too, is also like St. Anger. It's just yes. relentless. That feels very purposeful to me. Because, again, all these songs are so fluid and they're so, like, comfortable. They settle into these, like, comfortable grooves. And, like, individually, they feel familiar, like, even the first time that yeah. you listen to them. But I think thematically, and this is this is something that, like, a lot of, um, I don't want to say casual fans, but, like, Um, I think this is something that, like, a lot of people are not relating to in the album. Like, I've heard a lot of people say the album's too long or, like, they couldn't get through it the first listen or something like that. And I understand that. Um, But to me, there's more to 72 Seasons than just, like, listening to a bunch of, like, fun riffs and solos strung together. Like, they're working through something emotionally the same way that they were working through it on San Anger or like Black Album or Justice. Yeah. yeah. Um, it, it feels like it needs to be as long as it is. 
Yeah. And, and there's no song that I feel like you could take out and still have a full album. Mm. Despite its length. Like there's no song like I loved Hardwired to self-destruct. Um, up till 72 seasons, I thought it was, you know, their best produced album. I thought it, the songs were there, but you know, there's no murder one on this album. Mm, exactly. You know, and it, it, it's just, it, it's every song has its purpose on this record and feels mm. purposeful and meaningful. And when I listen to it, the only thing I can think of when 72 seasons plays, I cannot wait for the next song. Then shadows follow <laughs> happens. I cannot wait for the next song. And like, I yeah. go th- like that for the whole 77 minutes. And then I just want to go back and re-listen to it. Mm. And it's just, it, it's just a really powerful record. And I think to, you know, the, when you look at a lot of the criticisms against it, um, I guess I understand them on one hand, but I think mm-hmm. those people are missing, are kind of missing the point. You know, like the people who are bashing like the Kirk Hammett solos. Mm. I think you're missing the point. You know, like he, to tie in with what we were saying before, like these, I, he's not sitting down and composing the solos like he used to. Mm-hmm. And that serves the purpose, I think, of these songs because these songs do not sound like songs that were you know, thought out for three years. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not saying that as like a negative, uh, as a, like a negative thing, but think of like St. Anger, right? Where it was like, there was no solos and it served this like unified message. Yes. And yes. now there are solos, but it's still kind of serving this unified message of like, they're not the focus of the song. A lot of the solos are shorter. Yeah. They're not the overly the complicated. Rhythm. Yeah. It, it just sort of like yeah. flows with the music and as soon as the solo starts, I feel like the solo kind of ends in most songs. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, it, there's no, there's no like frayed ends of sanity where you have this extended solo section, you know? Yeah. For better or for worse. I'm not saying it's good or bad. Just, you know, that's my mm-hmm. observation from hearing the record. And so I think the those people are, I understand the criticism, but I think you're kind of missing the point or, or the creative goal that they had in mind, in my opinion. No. Yeah. Yeah, I think that um, Metallica, like, it really feels like they made this album for themselves more yeah. so than any album since St. Anger, I would say. Um, there's, I mean, it's accessible and it does reference their old music and stuff, but, like, it doesn't feel like it's directed towards, like, the fandom in a really obvious way. Um, yeah, like, that's magnetic of, like, Exactly. Like, I'm going to use the example of, like, Star Wars The Force Awakens. You know, it's not like fan service, nostalgia, yeah. the movie. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. Um, what's I going to say on top of that? I forget. I'll come back to it. <laughs> I think going back to a point you made before, right, how yeah, there's this concept of 72 seasons that's mm-hmm. like, I, I think it plays perfectly in line, right, when you look at, Metallica's never written like a true concept album, but when you look at like, you know, sure, sure like um master puppets injustice for all even death magnetic there's like this general theme that runs through the album and kind of connects all the songs and that's how i feel about 72 seasons right it's not a concept but it's a general theme that kind of runs through the record and loosely connects all these songs 
Yeah, um, totally. I remember what I was going to say now. So it's also not an album that's like written in the way that modern metal bands write for fans. Yeah. And nor is it like, um, what does it say? Like Overkill, I think, put out an album the same day or something. Yeah. And I listened to it a little bit and I'm like, yeah, this is just like 80s thrash. You know, they're yeah. just like, yeah having fun, rocking out and stuff. But like, it's pure 80s thrash. There's yeah. like no other influence. Yeah. It's shreddy, but like, that's mm-hmm. what certain metalheads want. They want like the most specific thing right. and the most specific sound, um, which not to say they don't want metal bands to, like never evolve, but right. um, that's but, what they want. And yeah, you go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, yeah Metallica have like, there, there's something very like emotionally open about Metallica and relatable about them that we talked about in the Megadeth episode that like Megadeth yeah. don't even really have that either, except in like glimpses, you know, right, when yeah. Mustang's really trying for it. Um, but like so much of that comes from the early influences because I hear like not just new wave of British heavy metal, but I hear a bit, a bit of like seventies rock and roll in terms of like totally deep purple budgie, um, and some of, of the like, tones, like some of the guitar tones too, like I think yeah. um, are just like a little bit brighter than yeah, what you totally. normally hear on a Metallica record. And it harkens back, I think, to like some of those bands from that era, like you're saying. Yeah, and Sabbath even, but like not even the most obvious Sabbath stuff. Like, yeah. you know, like album tracks from Master of Reality or whatever, yeah. where they don't have the heaviest like most brutal tone of all time yeah but it's heavy because of the atmosphere and the kind of open and freewheeling Mm. feel to it um it's just different it's just not aimed at people who only listen to metal in that way 100 percent agree i mean Mm. i saw you know the metallica haters come in come out in full force (laughs) when a new album is out and i just like and and I just take it all in, you know, um, and uh, in but you realize, like, you know, I saw a lot of things on Twitter about, you know, I bought the real metal album today and like with like a picture of like the new Overkill album. Yeah. And it's like, it's like, dude, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong <laughs> with not liking the new Metallica album. There's nothing wrong with preferring the new Overkill album. There's nothing wrong with that. But what the mistake that you're making is pretending that Metallica is still a thrash metal band. Exactly. They haven't been a thrash metal band since 1984 when they came out with Ride the Lightning. They've, thrash has been part of their sound, of course. It's a genre that they basically started, so I understand that. But, like, 72 Seasons is not a thrash metal album. There's thrashy moments. There's thrash riffs. But it's not a thrash metal album in the way that Overkill is. Like you said, yeah. Overkill is 1980s thrash metal with the new album has, I listened to the first few songs because mm-hmm. I kept on seeing it pop up. It's what, from what I heard, there's nothing bad about it. I, I enjoyed it, but it's not something I'm going to go back to because I feel like I've heard it already. Well, there are 20 other Overkill albums that you can listen to that exactly. are not all the same, but still. You know. Exactly. And there's you know, a million other bands too that fit that mold 
as mm. well. You know, it's like, give me something new. Give me something I've not heard before. And, and then another big thing I saw was, you know, oh, the lyrics suck. <laughs> Hatfield is a, you know, a wimp. He's writing these self-loathing lyrics and I'm just like, 1995 cold. You know? Oh my god! I'm just like, listen. <laughs> yes, he's not like singing about Satan in this song. I'm sorry. I love songs yeah. about Satan. Yeah, I say that with love. I'm a metalhead. Every metalhead loves songs about Satan. But <laughs> yeah, he's writing about things that he's writing about his own vulnerability, his own mortality, yeah. his own, his yeah. own personal experiences a lot of which on some level are pretty universal i'm like i don't it, it's okay it's okay hmm. to show vulnerability but there's exactly. that old school metalhead mentality where it's not yeah in the moment you do it's like it's like yeah well you're a pussy so i'm not listening to it <laughs> it's like always been there like maybe not on kill em all but like what is fade to black you know what is the the bridge of master of puppets if not right. vulnerable i don't get it right dyer's know. eve yeah the unforgiven nothing else matters yeah. the god that failed like it's all these you know i think it's just done in a way now where in you said this you you wrote a review for something two seasons and this was something i was thinking of that you wrote it the new album does not have the poeticness of an unforgiven, mm. which I've heard James Hatfield say in interviews. That's the most personal song he's ever written. And when you read it, when you read the lyrics, it reads like poetry. Mm. But when you read the lyrics of St. Anger, it, it sounds kind of like a, a journal entry of like a madman purging on a page where it's like, you know, just like I, you just picture like him writing a line like in small mm. font, and then it just gets like bigger and angrier, and like exactly. it's just the same line over and over. But it's like, it, yeah, he's purging. It's Nicholson in the Shining metal. Yes, <laughs> exactly. And then with um with uh seventy two seasons, I feel like it's somewhere kind of in the middle, where it's not like the same. Um, it's not as maybe repetitive as some of the lyrics in our insane anger, but it's serving the same purpose where it's like still just this like direct purge of, and there's not much sugarcoating it. A song like room of mirrors, it, it, it's not sugarcoating what it's about. There's no great like metaphor in it really. It's just him saying like, here I am like fame, strip it away, to, like showing everything about myself. And here I am, you know? And, uh, maybe, maybe that's, maybe that explains some of the criticism. I'm not sure, but I just mm -hmm. laughed at that. Cause I'm like, I think the lyrics are incredibly powerful in this record. They're great. Yeah. Um, but there is also a sense of like, obviously James went to rehab in late 2019. Right. Yeah. But from what I've heard, it sounded like in some ways a bit of a preventative measure because yeah, it wasn't that's what it that seems. he had yeah, because it wasn't that he had like fully relapsed or anything. It's just that he could feel himself slipping and potentially that coming if he stayed on tour and maintained 
that lifestyle that he yeah. was doing. Am I right in saying that? Yeah, that's how I interpreted it. And uh, yeah. I think, too, you know, not to I, I don't like getting to like um, their personal life yeah, yeah, yeah. on the podcast because I don't like I see these things. I was like, oh, James Hetfield has a new girlfriend. Who the fuck cares? Let yeah, the man yeah. live his life. But, um, you know, he, uh, uh, you know, knowing he, he went through a divorce, mm. like pretty much right after he came out of rehab, I'm mm. going to assume there's probably marital problems during that time too that maybe, you know, mm. mental health, mental health, yes. all that stuff. You're on tour. You, you feel it getting away from you. Things are not great at home. Mm. You got to I, – I, I think it was probably more like let's get my – stuff and there's red flags here let me get my stuff in order yeah and the idea of like let's not use tour and music and the band and the business to escape my personal life yeah like he did like he did for years i think you know which is why some kind of monster exists (laughs) yeah (laughs) but musically it feels like he's not in the swamp he's not deep in the weeds like he's thinking about yeah. all these things with a very very clear mind but yes. he is he has worked through a lot of them and is continuing to work through a lot of them i was thinking of a yeah. song like too far gone which i can't imagine those lyrics being on any other metallica album yeah. like am i too far gone no yeah and that's like so powerful to me that like kind of yeah same. soaring like melodic almost like iron maideny Yep. chorus it's like um, iron maiden meets ramones yeah <laughs> and it just feels so refreshing and so yeah. genuinely positive to hear them come to that point like what 40 years into their career yeah like they're still having like new breakthroughs and yeah. that's fucking awesome well i think you know i i feel like saint anger asked a lot of questions hmm. it was a purge and asked a lot of questions. And at 72 seasons, they have more answers. Totally. You know, totally. where it's like, like, you know, on a song like Too Far Gone, he's he's asking questions, but he ends with, I'm never too far gone. Hmm. Never too far gone. On, uh, I mean, in Namorada, we got to talk about this song <laughs> in greater detail. But, um, yeah. you know, it, misery going through, you know, his connection with this feeling and, Every refrain ends with, it's not what I'm living for. Yeah. You know, Chasing Light, another song we should get into great detail about. Um, mm-hmm. It's the whole the whole refrain, you know, chase that light, lean on me. It, it, it's like, hey, I, I, to, I interpret it as like, hey, I got you. You're going through this, I got you. And then it's like the encouragement of struggle on because – without darkness there's no light right it's -hmm. like these hopeful positive lyrics that are just like that are bookcasing these dark feelings Hmm. that is so these are all such like important messages and like kind of internal dialogues that i think people need to hear but in music that really like earns it and goes for it and is yeah about that, you know? And even from, like, guys who are 60 or approaching 60, like, to me, that makes it all the more powerful. Yeah. Um, you feel like again, there's you feel like there's a wisdom there that's been gathered from definitely. experience, you know? And exactly. 
it it doesn't seem like he's come through. He it's recognizing he has work to do. He doesn't have all the answers, but he has some now, you know, and, mm-hmm. uh, and he's recognizing his own self-worth too. Mm. Like if this was to be the last time, which I don't think it'll be, and let's hope that it isn't, yeah. Yeah, but yeah. it does feel like a fair, like summary of all the themes that they've written about yeah. through their career, including ending with Inamorata, which is, I think about being, tempted and feeling that temptation but being able yeah. to say no because you've gone through it and you've faced that that hardship more than yeah. once and survived you're still here i think too i always listen to that song i think of it i think it's about him as a songwriter too right like he has mm-hmm. relied on misery misery has paid his bills right in a lot of ways but recognizing yeah. like he can step away from that and not live in it and not he like he, I need you. I want you, but I don't, I, it's not my life. It, it's not like, I'm not going to live in this forever. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, I also never feel like the lyrics, I mean, for, for me, like hardwired and death bang, like there are songs with more engaging lyrics than others. But there are also times where, like, it, it sort of, it doesn't feel like there's that personal connection in the same yeah. way to every song. Yeah. Um, even a song like Spit Out the Bone, which is awesome. Like, I wouldn't, that's like them writing about a scenario to yeah. me that exists outside of Metallica. Or like Moth into Flame, you know, it's about yeah. it. It, maybe it's you know he can relate to moments of it, but it's you know he mm. watched an Amy Winehouse documentary and yeah. was inspired to write the lyrics. There's nothing wrong with any of that, but like you mm. said, there's this. It's not like ev- not every song is like this super deep personal song. Not every song has to be, but I think when you have an album like this, that is that that is those collection of songs, it makes it really special and powerful. Mm, I think so. I think so. Um, yeah, I, I'm going to enjoy just, like, living with this album. You know, it's yeah. going to be something I listen to, like, all the time. And that, like, my relationship to it changes yeah. over time. Favorite songs, all of that stuff. Yeah. You know? Yeah. What What are some of your favorite songs today while we record? I think the title track is my single favorite song. Just because, like, it has that epic opening yeah. It has like so many riffs that feel like interconnected in the perfect way. It has that key change, which yeah. is so cool. Um and it's just so like tight as well. Like Super it has tight. all the little like moments between choruses and verses and things yeah. that I feel like they hadn't done in a while. Like um, you know, feeding on the wrath of man while mm-hmm. um James is playing like harmonics and mm. Lars is matching every like every stroke to his snare drum. Yeah. Like that feels like something that they haven't done to the same degree. Yeah. Recently. And I really appreciate that level of like detail and tightness. Cause like yeah. live, if they miss one thing, then that's going to throw up the entire song. Well, you know? Did you see that? Um, I'm not even sure what it was for. It must've been like a promotional video of some sort. But they performed it live, like on a sound stage. The song Seventy Two Seasons. Uh-huh. I'll hmm. send it to you. Yeah. And if I remember, I'll put a link to it in the episode description so people can check it out. It is 
perfect. Mm-hmm. And Robert Trujillo, his backup vocals, yeah. Wrath of Man, perfect, dead on. It sounds like it sounds like he's like lip syncing to the album. Yeah, <laughs> like he has he has put some work in with his with his vocals. But I'll I'll send it to you. It is hmm. it is an amazing amazing spot on performance and for a song that is not incredibly uh easy to pull off mm. i um the the playing on this album just feels a bit different to me yeah it feels um, it feels looser but mm. which again is another contradiction because the album's incredibly tight yeah, you know, like it, everything's like perfectly in the pocket, but mm. it feels like there's this looseness to it. It I feels think, alive. It feels alive. It really does. Yeah. You know? I um I think a lot of it comes from Lars's drumming, which and to me on Death Magnetic and Hardwired is not that distinctive. Um, to me on those two albums, it doesn't have the same level of detail that is on like puppets and justice, especially where he's like making like really odd choices on those albums, odd and like intricate choices. Um, Here it's like, he's kind of, he's kind of doing both. I think Mm. that there is a, sometimes like he's like extremely rhythmically tight and other times um, he pulls back in a way that no other like thrash metal drummer does. Mm -hmm. Like he knows when to, do like the ACDC or like kind of white stripes level yeah. of simplicity. And that really opens up the riffs and the yeah. songs in a way yeah. that I find like fascinating and honestly like perfect. Like yeah. I find Lars playing a backbeat to like a simple one, two, three, four backbeat to James's riff to be more compelling than like the vast majority of like prog metal or whatever out yeah. there, you know, it just hits that like lizard brain. Well, every you can hate them all you want, but every hit sounds like Lars Ulrich hitting a drum. Totally. And how many drummers can you say that about? Not a a select few, you know? When he hits a snare drum, you know it's him. (laughs) There's like no, there's no mistaking him for anybody else in his playing. I think I've said this in the podcast before. I'm sure I have. Maybe I've I've said it like every fifth episode or something. But um, (laughs) if you go on YouTube and you look up any like isolated Lars studio track, um, there's always a comment in it saying, oh, you listen to this and you can hear James's riffs on it, even though they're not Mm -hmm. there. And that to me is like a sign of his philosophy and a truly great player, which is like, you you can't really say that about any other drummer. Yeah. I think. I think. You know, Metallica is one of the most melodic bands ever, period, of any genre. Because you have Lars Ark, who is one of the most melodic drummers ever. Mm. Like, because he plays to the riffs. And he, and then you have Kirk Hammett, who, like, he's not out to. Like he's not out to like shred and do anything super complicated. He plays mm. to the song, you know. And to me, they're just like one of the most melodic bands all the way around because all their players are playing melodically. 
to for whatever fits the song, especially in mm. like especially on this record. I feel like it's also unified, but they yeah. know when to add tension and pull back and yeah. accompany vocals and do like even you know more complex things yeah. on the vocals. I think you know another contradiction about this album is that as much of like a personal purge as it seems at times, it sounds like they're having a lot of fun. I think this might be the most like fun they've ever have sounded on record. Like it, it just sounds like they're in it. Maybe fun's not the right word, but comfortable. Mm-hmm. There's this comfort and it's like, I feel like they are, you know, really comfortable being Metallica. And that shows on this record. Like they all feel comfortable in their roles. They all feel comfortable doing their part you know and and uh the with i i mean they've i feel like they all just really upped their game rob trujillo Mm -hmm. is an Mm all-star on this record james hatfield's his vocals is the best he's ever sounded at almost 60 years old he sounds younger than he did on san angle yeah legitimately and like he has more control over his voice now than he did then you know which is astonishing For, you know, a 60-year-old man who's been doing as long as he does, for him to become better in a lot of ways and with vocal control and range, and he just seems really comfortable with where he's at right now. Yeah. Live and on record. Yeah, it, it seems like... It doesn't seem like he just got a bunch of, like, stem cell shots into his book <laughs> or something. It seems like he works for it. Yeah, um, but in a way that makes it like easier. And he goes for he's going for those you know higher register yeah. notes, and he he started doing that live. I feel like in within the last like ten years, and now it's like showing mm-hmm. on record too. You know, and it's and it's he. I mean, he just sounds great. And there's this there's this you know I I said this about the last Megadeth album, like Mustaine sounds more pissed off than he has in years. <laughs> That's like he. Like he found like that again, you know. Yeah. And I feel like Hatfield's found a little bit more of that. Yeah, that he like was. I didn't really realize it was missing until I heard this record, and I'm like, yeah. I'm like, there's just a little bit more bite in his vocals. But also that soaring melody. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah in a song like Too Far Gone, or yeah. Season, or, or Lux yeah. Eterna, or yeah. Um, they did say in the pre-release interviews leading up to this album that this was the easiest, like, time they've ever had in the studio. Yeah. I think because they made it more of a collaborative process, which funnily enough, I feel like James and Lars have been saying that for like 20 years now, (laughs) but, um, (laughs) it, it also seems true. Like there are more Kirk and Rob, uh, contributions yeah, but also the way everything was assembled and arranged does genuinely feel more democratic. Um, yeah, I mean, I feel like Rob being high in the mix like is a big one. Though. Yeah, I mean, this is the most bottom end I think you've ever heard on a Metallica record, and I mean, not as much as San Angle, but definitely for an E uh, record in E. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a different. It's just a compl- different tone. Mm. You know, it's like just a different vibe than like Saint Anger. You know. Um, but I think I, I thought hardwired self-destruct was their best 
uh, produced record until I heard 72 seasons. Hmm. And now I'm like, no, this is the best they've sounded on record. Look at the, the, the tones of the instruments, the vocals. Hmm. It's the best they've ever sounded on record, I think. In a way that doesn't even make you miss like the clean guitars and stuff. Like it's just so satisfying to hear that really like organic guitar tone and like that drum tone. Yeah. Yeah, it it, it just and I feel like I feel like they're all playing live in a room together. Mm. You know, like that's what it sounds like. I don't know if it's it, but the energy brought to the performances, the you know the little studio snippets you hear at the end of some tracks, it just sounds like they're playing live in a room, and you can tell from like the, like the vocal takes and stuff. There's no copier, pacing of this. Like he, mm. he like he he sang it all the way through. Mm. You know, like each part, each chorus you hear in an amarata, there's mm. a different you know melodic uh like a, a melodic change or um tonal change or something you know like it's it it feels truly like a live performance throughout the record mm, yeah 100 percent. tell me favorite songs yeah. oh on the record. um <laughs> it'll probably be I different like tomorrow but i've been really going towards the last three too mm. far gone room of mirrors and Amarada. i think people are going to hear this and you can send your hate mail to metallicaspot at gmail.com you can send it to <laughs> at metallicaspot on facebook twitter instagram i think this is one of the strongest second half of records they've ever released period mm. and when those final three songs too far gone room of mirrors and Amarada is just like boom 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 um I think in terms of like lyrical depths of like just personal, vulnerable, musically just like interesting and relentless. And uh I I find myself gravitating towards those three songs a lot. Mm. The two biggest growers are also um I I think You Must Burn was the biggest grower on the record for me. And, like, that's up there now for me, too. Just, like, such a Black Sabbath song to me. Yeah. People are comparing it to Sabbath True. But to me, it's just, like, pure Sabbath. It's, like, Metallica playing Sabbath. Yeah, I feel that. Um, I think that's one I have connected with, but not, like, fully grown to love. Yet. Yeah. I'd probably say the same with Chasing Light. But, like, they are compelling songs to yeah. me. As you said, it's not like there's a murder one on this album where yeah. it's a little bit more of a throwaway. Yeah, yeah. Chasing mm-hmm. Light, it's funny. When we were in the movie theater, like, the reaction to Chasing Light when that song ended was, like, humongous. Mm. And, like, my buddies were like, that song's awesome. And I was like, yeah, that song's cool, but it didn't connect to me the same way as, like, some of the other tracks did. But mm. with repeated listens, that song is, like, skyrocketed near the top, too. And... Mm. um. It's the 2023 Invisible Kid. Oh, that's lyrically, true. Lyrically. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I know, every time I listen to this album, 
I have a new favorite song. I have a new favorite moment. I've mm. listened to this song. I've listened to this album on repeat from start to finish every day for the last, you know, two weeks it's been out. Um, it is, I, I, I don't feel like it's, I don't, and I don't see an end in sight. I don't mm. see me like leaving this record anytime soon. It's been a long time since I've had an album where I feel this connected to where I just want to listen to all the time. Um, where it ranks in, uh, you know, the catalog, I got to live with the album more before I make a, 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 an important proclamation like that, where I feel <laughs> it ranks among the master of puppets and stuff. But, uh, mm. I, I would put it in the top 50% for sure. Oh, hundred percent. I would say top third at least. Yeah. I think it's up there for me. Yeah. Um, what was I going to say? I, I've been thinking a lot about like if darkness had a son and how that's like the most straightforward song on yeah. the album. For some reason, like the first time I heard it, I was like, yeah, this is like if Bray Wyatt in WWE, like did an undertaker, like 2000 <laughs> gimmick and had an entrance theme. Yeah. Like it feels like a pro wrestling song. And like it, it, it has like less depth in some ways than other songs, but also is so fascinating to me. I don't know. This is a tangent, yeah. but like, I just want to talk about it. <laughs> Do it. That's what this is for. <laughs> yeah. Go down the rabbit yeah. holes. That's why they call this Metallica. Yeah. Yes, 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 yes. If you can't do it here, where can you do it? No, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, that song to me, in some ways, is almost like the most Black Album song on the record. Hmm. You know? Um, but I also always think of some kind of monster in that in the Presidio sessions with that temptation song that never saw the light of day. Oh, you know, that's so true. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you have the refrain temptation and that song, I will yeah. say, I think if you're in the audience and they play that song live, that's going to be a, a great song live. I can't wait to hear that bit. Yeah. In particular. Yeah. <laughs> but there's, again, there's no songs I'd skip over. Um, a lot of, um, I, a little bit of Alice in Chains influence too on the record. That's true. I feel like, um, sleepwalk my life away when he does the, uh, if I fall you, brown, brown. Mm. that to me is like very melancholy Alice in Chains, um, crown of barbed wire, which yeah. is a sleeper too. Yeah. Um, the melody of that, the chorus reminds me of Alice in Chains and the riff. Well, as I've told you on Twitter, Chains. Yeah. the um the main riff of Crown of Barbed Wire, very Dragon from Lulu. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, the da, 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 versus on Dragon, it's da, 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 da. it's yeah. kind of droney. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Both times. <coughs> Very um, exciting to me. Very exciting to me as a Lulu head. <laughs> yeah, a Lulu head. You gotta, you gotta coin that one. 
There, there are Copyright five of us. <laughs> yeah. Like literally. Yeah, but David Bowie is one of them, so you're in good company. No, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> um, Chorus of Inamorata also has that Alice in Chains feel. Like yeah. if you had the Jerry Cantrell like kind of lower harmonies and you slowed yeah. it down a bit. Misery, but I need a more, you know? Yeah. You know what's yeah. amazing to me about Inamorata as a composition? Mm. When you look at the I, song. I do know. It's, I know exactly what you're going to say. What? <laughs> oh, that it doesn't feel like 10 minutes, 11 minutes long at all. No, not at all. But what's also amazing to it feels like one of the shortest songs on the album, yeah. despite it being the longest song they've ever recorded. And, mm. but on top of that, when you look at the song musically, the whole song is basically a variation on one riff. Mm. And lyrically, That's a yeah. yeah, and lyrically, the whole song is like it's at least seventy five percent, um, just the chorus over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. Yet they arrange it in a way where it's fascinating to listen to, and it flies by in eleven minutes. Mm. I think that I think I think Inamorata is a brilliant composition that will go down as one of their all time greatest compositions. Totally. And it's also epic in a very different way to Bleeding Me, Fixer, um, Outlaw Torn. Yeah. Um, they've been referencing, like, Fixer quite a bit, actually. Yeah. Like, I can't remember if they talked about it in the, like, interview, in the yeah. screening. But, um, yeah, it feels like it's on their mind. Yeah. 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 And it's it definitely feels like it's, like, a heavier lost track off load or reload <laughs> yeah yeah um but yeah i i mean when you listen to an 11 minute song and then you go back and replay it immediately after i'm like they're on to yeah. something here you know yeah i think that's a fascinating song to listen to and it's such yeah. a interesting way to close that record because it's you finally get like you know a somewhat mellow moment before it builds up and it's the first time you hear clean guitar halfway through the last song on the record. You know, it's just, oh, it's so good. So good. Yeah, and they haven't ended on a slow song since. Yeah, Reload. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But they really only have, they have like, they either end with full out like thrash mm. or the, but on Load Reload, you know, they had the more like atmospheric closers i feel like and yeah, this is yeah. and this is exactly in line with those like the more atmospheric closers but with those just like a little bit more like doom metal mixed in <laughs> you know sure. yeah and and i'm gonna say something i never thought i would say but based off some of the riffs on this record i'd be totally down for metallica to do a full-on doom metal record absolutely <laughs> absolutely yeah Maybe that's yeah. Maybe that's like the next thing, the next you phase know. of them. <laughs> Either that or James does a country solo record, but you know, which I would also like... love. That's Not long overdue. I feel like, yeah, long overdue. Mm. You know what? I I will also say this to going back to Kirk Hammett for a moment. For anybody who is ignorant and thinks he no longer knows how to play the guitar, <laughs> um, ignoring the fact that he plays all the old solos every time you see them live 
Um, go listen to Portals. I just re-listened to that for the first time yeah. in months, and the guitar work on that is just very. It, it's more traditional. It's very well. It's it's all very composed, but it's you know a lot more varied than what you're going to get in seventy two seasons. But mm. again, that's not the purpose of this record. Exactly. Yeah, uh, Portals is very organic and loose and flowing. Like it, yeah, it has. It's both like purposefully composed, but also feels like he just like recorded them on the first take yeah, in a way. Right. Whereas you know, Metallica as a band has always just been tight, tight, tight. Yeah. Um, but again, like we're contradicting ourselves, but in a way that like makes sense, you know. Well, it's again, tight this and it's loose. Yeah, this whole album is filled with contradictions. Like I said, yeah, is the best yeah. way I can describe this album is by. Mm. Just telling you the opposite things about exactly. everything, you know. It's dark, it but it's really sense. light. It's uh, it's like the old thrash records, but com- something completely different. That's not like any of the old thrash records. Um, it has uh, you know references to all their past albums, but also does things you've never heard them do before on record. Um, yeah. What about like the the bridge in uh, "You Must Burn," like the vocal bridge? It's like They've never done something like that on record before. It sounds mm. like it, it, it sounds like their echo chamber. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's not like even really highlighted. Like it's in the mix. Yeah, yeah. Main thing. It's a little bit ghost-like. Yes, totally, totally. Um. But yeah, they are. I to say I am uh, happy about this album would be an understatement. And uh, you know, I understand some people's criticism against it, but really, if you're a Metallica fan, I don't know how you're not digging yeah. this one. And it's like it's, and I don't know what else. You know, I'm not. I don't. I don't want to belittle the. I think what they achieved on this record. Or belittle anything else they've done, or but like forty plus years, sixty years old, they're releasing this album. What else do you want from them? Exactly. You know, like yeah. what else are you expecting? Um. Yeah. But I, I will, I will say my definitive statement. I think this album is going to be remembered. As, as a masterpiece as one of their finest um recordings and perhaps we'll, we'll see what we'll see what lies ahead in the coming years but perhaps uh their finest late period record mm, no i completely agree um i mean i'm i'm sure there will be like different consensuses between like uh critics which i actually haven't read any other reviews really um so i don't know what they're saying but um, yeah, between like critics, between like you know hardcore metal nuts, and between like yeah. you know kids and stuff who grow up with this album, yeah, um, I think there's going to be different consensuses. But like, I think in a broad sense, like it's made an impact. It's going to be, it's it's full of songs that you're going to look forward to hearing live. Yeah, like if they played you know ten songs from this album, you would not feel shortchanged. Totally live, you know. And I don't know if there's a song that will be maybe Lux Eterna, but 
But like, I don't know mm-hmm. if there's other songs that will become like a live staple. Like Moth and Deflame, I feel like, you know, mm-hmm. from the last record, like that's a live staple now. Like that's mm-hmm. up there with like, they can pull that out at any point in a live show. I don't know how many songs of that will be, will will like get to that level from this record. But I think it, this is just like a different type of record where it mm. doesn't need to be that. They're all of a piece. Yeah. 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 Final words. Yeah, we we live in exciting times. Yes, Metallica. That's all I'll say. Or are you going to any of the M seventy two? I I probably asked you this last episode, but I forget. They have not announced dates for Australia. Australia. I'm sorry, that's a sour subject, actually, (laughs) on many fans. Yeah, especially because um the 2019 tour cancellation um hit us first, and most notably. Eh, yeah but you know you know they, they got to live their life well as the time of this recording they've completed the first weekend of the m72 tour in amsterdam yeah. and did you have a chance to check out the set list i'm doing so right now all right check it out let me know what you think a lot of um expected songs a lot of deep cuts some surprises mm. um and the i've seen just bits and pieces of like um some clips like you know cell phone footage or whatever the stage mm. looks massive massive mm. i mean i think every band should play in the round ideally like if you're doing stadiums or arenas i love it in the round like when they do the arenas i love it in the round and mm. for a stadium it makes sense like i i've yeah. seen them in stadiums the first time i saw metallica uh, was in a stadium traditional stage set up you know at one end and I was up there on the sides, and like I could see the band, but it's like it just wasn't the best viewing experience to say, you know. Mm. But in the round, it kind of alleviates some of that, you know. Yeah, I agree. Um, I'm looking at these set lists now. So first night opening with Orion, yeah, incredible, speechless, yeah, Slade. Um, I like that they've reintroduced Holier Than Thou. Um, they yeah, they've been that doing that one a lot lately. Did that on Kimmel too? Kimmel, yeah. yeah, which I really enjoy. King Nothing, cool. Yeah. yeah, like I'm loving all these kind of like load and reload era staples coming back into rotation. Yeah, they got to bring some of them back. I want Bleeding Me on this tour at some point. Yeah, yeah. Hero of the um, Day. They've not done that yeah. one forever. Hmm. Um, I like that they played the day that never comes. I think that would fit really well into their set lists like these things. Yeah. And fuel. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. And looking at the second show, Cthulhu yeah. opening. Fuck yeah. Leper Messiah. Fuck yeah. yeah. Until It Sleeps, first performance since 2008, which yeah. is, again, weird to think because that was yeah a staple song for so many years that they retired it. Yeah, they just kind um, of... There's so many of those load reload songs, with the exception of yeah. memory and fuel, that they just like completely moved away from. I think, I feel like, yeah, maybe it's just like you know the band mentality. I think changed. Started, they started becoming more interested in like playing yeah. some of the older stuff again. But like, bring those songs back, man. The 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 thing that's crazy is that like until it sleeps, King Nothing. Those are massive like hits for the band. Yeah, that are yeah. still played. Like I still, I I rarely listen to FM radio, but whenever I am, I hear one of those songs. Like to this day, 
I I feel like there was this perception that they had to be like more metal or a little bit more old school on like the last yeah let's say fifteen years of tours yeah. since Death Magnetic, but like those are as big a part of their history and their like musicality as anything. Yeah, they're like you know, it's not like um like uh um low man's lyric or something where it's a bit of like a tangent, right? You yeah. know, yeah, yeah. Um, it's a, it's like a core element. Yeah. And it's like like a big single. Um, and like looking, yeah, looking at the second show, um, premieres of seventy two seasons, first full Darkness Had a Sun, yeah, Humans Burn, um, in between like all the songs as well. I think these songs will sit really, really well between, yeah, all the I songs. Agree. Sanitarium, Harvester, Moth. Fight, fight, or fire, and then whiskey in the jar, which is kind of funny to me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's interesting too is with the new songs, I feel like on Death Magnetic and Hardwired tours, these started with new songs like right off the bat. And the first weekend here, mm-hmm. I kind of, I kind of thought every show is opening up with Lux Eterna, or maybe mm-hmm. seventy two seasons, you know. But they've yeah. so far. I mean, it's just been one weekend. So far, they've just kind of like stuck them in the middle of the set, right? They've been bookended uh, by, you know, more classic material, which is interesting. Yeah. How how varied do you think their sets are going to be through this tour? That was literally what I was thinking. I mean, yeah. I feel like, you know, I you can't open every show with an eight-minute instrumental, I don't think. Mm. Unless you're going to go through all of them and just keep on rotating. Like, are you going to do... Uh, Suicide Redemption, you know, the next show. I don't know. Um, That seems a little too... Like, Orion and Cthulhu's cool for, like, once in a while. Mm. The surprise factor, though, is, like, Mm. it's not there anymore, right? So I feel like you got to do something different that opening slot. Yeah. Um, The second slot seems like they're going to just throw, like, a deep cut in there, right? You had Holier Than Thou, and then you had... um, what was the other one? Leopard Messiah, right? Those like, the tra- those number three, actually. All right, so like number yeah. three, you're going to have, you know, that's going to be like their rotating deep cut track, you know? And then I think you're going to have, you know, those load songs will cycle in and out with either other load songs or maybe they'll pull like a St. Anger song here or there. or you know, But I think you are going to get a decent variety of each album, more so than you have in the past because there's been... The last few tours, I was like, they you have new album songs, and then the first five records. Yes, exactly. And now I think you you know you're gonna get, even though the majority of I think you're gonna get like a quarter new songs, quarter like, you know, fifty percent classic, twenty five percent new stuff, and then like twenty five percent like rotating ninety stuff. You know, which is cool. Yeah. It's a little bit more variety, I think. But I, I think yeah. I, I that's the big question. Like, obviously, you're going to play Master Puppets one night. Obviously, you're going to play Inter Salmon one night. But the rest of the set, how much is that changing city to city or, like, leg to leg, mm-hmm. you know? Like, I yeah. doubt the shows I see in August are going to be the same as these shows in Amsterdam. Of course. But of course. next weekend, wherever they play, is it going to be the same as Amsterdam? Probably kind of close, I'm going to guess. Well, I think you're right in that these two shows do actually follow the same structure. 
for the most part. Yeah. Like you've got black album songs in the same spots. You've got ballads in the same spots. Um, but like, that's nothing to complain about at all. No. You know, if they rotate like even like 25, 30%. Yeah. Um, each weekend, like I'd be yeah. happy. I do. I, 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 did you send me people complaining about the two different set lists? <laughs> no, I, I sent you a friend saying basically people aren't like appreciative enough of Metallica oh, doing yeah. it until it sleeps. Yeah. yeah. I don't know the full context of that. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I did see on Twitter other people complaining about like two different set lists. I'm like, what are you complaining about? People literally yeah. just complain about anything mm. and everything. God. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that's what I like about this is that you're going to get at least variety from night to night if you go for the weekend where I feel like they went through a great phase where like every show is like really drastically different. And mm. I think on like the hardwired tour, it didn't really change that much. They had a couple slots that would change night to night, but pretty yeah, much exactly. it was the same set. So yeah. it was, it was a good set, but you know, it got like a little bit predictable. It wasn't exciting seeing like the latest set list on Instagram for shows you didn't go to. Yeah. Cause it was like, well, yeah, it's basically the same as, you know, the other 90% of what you've been playing, you know? So it'd be nice to see a little bit more variety on this tour again. No, that, yeah. Like worldwide was really the most like greatest hits sets they've ever done. Yeah. They, they, Which... they did pretty much all like all big five singles from the black album, mm. like every night, you know, they did, yeah. um, they always did like the seek and destroy spot and, you know, but now at least like you're going to get those songs, but at least it'll be like spread out, you know? Exactly. Yeah, it did add a little bit to the perception that, like, that they maybe weren't going to progress and, like, challenge themselves in the same way. Like, that their legacy yeah. is kind of, like, written in stone. Yeah. Which I think, I mean, we're already seeing, like, more exciting set lists than that. And Yeah. Yeah. I think, too, you know, with, like, um, the last All Within My Hands and stuff, like, just very creative arrangements of, like, like the this past All Within My Hands was a lot more in my opinion um creative and engaging than the all within my hands year two mm. you know like i feel like you know there's 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 a spark in the band right now they seem to just be having a lot of fun not that they weren't before but it seems to be even like more so now and they just seem, seem to be like firing on all cylinders and seem really positive and hyped about the new record so like i'm hoping that momentum keeps keeps going for them yeah, I think that, like, COVID clearly made them reflect and, like, reconnect with the essence yeah. of the band, like, both as individuals and as, like, four people in a group. Yeah. Like, what it means to them. Um, I think James was saying on, I think, the So What interview about how Black in 2020, like, really reinvigorated him. Yeah. Um, and, like, how them all recording it separately and doing their own thing was, like, really impactful for him. Yeah, he said, I remember he saying, especially when we're recording, like, the vocals, he felt a little bit more comfortable doing it kind of at home, trying out, like, different mm-hmm. things and kind of, like, you know, putting himself out there a little bit more, create a little bit more comfort for him. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought it was interesting, too, with, um, you know, I feel like Rob Trujillo brings such a creative energy to this band that's, mm-hmm. like, does not get enough recognition. If you saw his 
So What interview, he was saying how Black in 2020 started it, but then he was, and, and so he was tasked with, I was like, hey, come up with an arrangement for Day That Never Comes Acoustic. Oh. And he was like, and he was like, all right. And then he went home and wrote something completely new and sent it to Lars. And he was like, I don't know if this is like how this is going to go down. And then I guess Lars ended up playing drums on it and like sent it to him. It's not something that ever went anywhere, but he's like, Uh but that sparked Rob to tell Lars, but like, hey. Like, let's not just do, like, acoustic arrangements of old songs every week. Like, let's do something new. Let's start being, mm-hmm. like, creative and, and and writing new music. And I think so. I think he's a big spark behind this band right now, too, creatively, where it's just, like, kind of pushing the guys to, like, hey, yeah, that was cool, but we don't have to do the same thing every week. We can, you know, yeah. let's do something new. Shake it up. And. He also in the um in the like film theater presentation, he talked about the musicality of the songs the yeah. most by far. Yeah. Which I found really, really interesting. He dominated the interviews actually. Like he Yeah. Not in a bad way, but I feel like this is the most he's ever been a band member on this record. Hundred with his like in 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 when you hear the basses up front throughout the mm-hmm. whole record, he has songwriting contributions on several of the tracks. He has mm-hmm. vocals on a track. You know, like he, it seems like he, he's he's the longest tenured bass player in the history of Metallic, which is hard to believe. Uh, yeah. You know, with the mythology of Cliff Burden and the mm. the rapid success of not rapid, but the huge success of you yes. know the Jason Newstead years, yeah, and it's just yeah. like, but he's been there the longest now, and it's you know he's I feel like he's 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 stepping up even more, you know, with creatively and to be uh, a bigger um, figure for like a spokesperson for the bands these days, you know, mm. what's your favorite bass moment on this album? Um, As a bass player yourself. I mean, the, the bass breaking in Amarada brings me back to like, no, of course yeah. the cliff burden days or the, or you know, like something you'd hear on Sabbath with like Geezer Butler, but mm. the um, the pedal at the end at the beginning of seventy two seasons is mm. just like so simple, so simple in the terms so of like it's one note. So difficult to actually like pull off of that like ferocity and repetition, but like it just feel, it too. just builds like gloriously you know yeah to like this and that's a really cool moment i think i think that um probably my favorite part of the uh, between song discussions was um i think it was rob talking before lux turner i want to say and um i think i think it was greg fiddleman maybe maybe it was in the studio maybe it was elsewhere um, where like Rob tried to use a pick um, to play uh, it yeah. for one performance, and Greg's yeah. like, "Hey man, like, what the fuck are you doing?" And Rob's like, <laughs> "Okay, I'll put the pick away." <laughs> yeah. and, like he commits to you know doing the sixteenth yeah. note finger picking at that tempo, um, which really made an impression on me. Which yeah. is that like 
the, these guys are older, right? They're 59 or 60. Yeah. And like, they're feeling it, of course. But yeah. they still have the stamina to deliver every night and in the studio. Um, but it's like such physical music that you feel, I think you feel the impact and the effort of it arguably like more yeah. than on the older albums. Um, it, it's like them almost like wrestling with their instruments and trying to capture this kind of sense of mortality. Yeah. I think that it reminds me a bit of, um, uh, what's the 25th uh, book of souls iron maiden. Yeah. 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 Um, which is another of my favorite, like late period metal albums where it actually acknowledges them aging. They're not like pretending yeah. to be young men. And right, I think yeah. that's really inspiring. And you see it too throughout the record, not just like the loose concept of like 72 seasons, but also like in the portraits in the album that Lee Jeffries photographed, whereas like you mm. get the extreme close ups of like you see all of Hatfield's like lines and like. You know, mm. he looks more like Tom Waits than he does James Hatfield, you know? <laughs> he does, but he's owning it. Yeah, yeah, but that's what I'm saying, you know? And it's, uh, yeah. um, you know, there's no dying the hair for them. You know, there's, he's, they're going gray, they're going, they're getting older, and they're acknowledging their mortality, you know? Mm. But there's a really good interview that just came out with Lars on the Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend podcast. Ooh. Um, highly recommend for everybody listening. After you have listened to this episode of course <laughs> um yeah. and uh but conan brings up uh uh you know just the amount of like the basically how he's you know 60 years old or thereabouts and like Lexi turner a song like that like he's not let up like it's still like super aggressive and and he goes into detail about like what he needs to do physically to like just maintain mm. like his diet, his workout. And he's like, it's a very strict routine. I put myself on, you know, where he's, mm. you know, eating the same healthy meals and working out and doing this and doing that. And he's like, and that's just to plateau. Like that's just to maintain. That's just to like, keep the status quo. He's like, that's yeah. not even to like get better. That's just to maintain what I could do. Like what I could play in my twenties. Mm, you know, mm. it's really interesting to listen to, but you realize this whole other side of it, like a lot of behind the scenes, like work that, you know, goes into the physical mm. element of it. Like you were talking about. And can I say Heffield, mm. he's, he's in great shape right now. I don't know what he's doing, Not but he's, he, he, I don't think he's been this then since like the low days. He has like the same, you mm. know, uh, when, when I see him on stage, I feel like it's like, you know, black Alum Hatfield, but with like an old man. Sure face <laughs> yeah he's like maybe not as cut as like yeah Bruce Springsteen, yeah. but he's got that thing where like he can probably go for another how as long as he wants to yeah yeah you know yeah <laughs> he, it's like them. he's gone from dad to daddy yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right uh, i was on uh when I was on Twitter one of the last few times, there's this thing that popped up on my uh, tweet that popped up on my timeline. And I was like, what the, f what the fuck is this? I go to the account. The whole account is basically like a James Hetfield, like love account. Yeah. Like a stand account or something. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, 
Um, but like the, the tweet I saw was like so graphic. It was like a, a new picture of him from like 72 seasons. And then like the tweet was something of like wine, like his balls in their mouth. I was just like, all right, what, you know, what different strokes for different folks. I'm not here to judge. I just wasn't yeah. expecting to see that on my Metallica's timeline. Yes, it's Metallica related, but wasn't expecting to see anything about James Hetfield's balls and mouths. Uh, but, you know, he's that, a, he's a heartthrob style, still, you know. <laughs> that style of tweeting is like not something, not something I come across super often. Yeah. Right. But definitely there are younger women. Yeah. Who tweet about James and even like Dave Mustaine to a degree yeah. as if they're Harry Styles. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they're probably fans of like them too. But yeah, I'm just like, it's just interesting. Cool, you know, they're, they're but, relevant. But he you know? is a he is he is daddy to some people. Is my point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, he looks like the um. He looks like the older man in like any Lana Del Rey video. You know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Any final thoughts on seventy two seasons? Hmm. What haven't I said is the question. Like I've compared it to Saint Anger. I've compared it to Lulu. <laughs> um, maybe I'll just maybe I'll just read like the end of my review. Um, yeah. So where can everybody? Book. I'll put a link in the episode description. But where can everybody find your review? It's at themusic.com.au, which is. Um, I don't know how their like SEO like search optimization yeah. works. It's kind of hard, but it's there. It's there. Check out the um, link in the episode description. Yeah, but I wrote um, four decades after they kicked the doors down in the early twenties with Kill 'Em All, Metallica have come full circle in a way that no one could have predicted. Lyrically, seventy-two seasons is about how the struggles of one's first eighteen years can reverberate into adulthood. But musically, it's about reconnecting with the earliest influences and finding new meaning in them once again, with no interest in simply recapturing past glories. James Hetfield has often posed a question to the crowd at live shows. How does it feel to be alive? 72 Seasons responds with Metallica's raison d'etre to chase their Lux Eterna, their light eternal, as long as the mind and body are willing. Boom. Amen. And that's why I'm a writer and not a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't have anything that can beat that. So I don't know why I'm a podcaster. (laughs) So I don't know. You're a facilitator of words um, and thoughts, including, well, primarily own, but very often me, which I'm very grateful for. Well, you know, you're welcome anytime. Not next time, but any other time. No, not not the time after that either, but any other time. Well, like I don't know what we'll have to look forward to, which is the exciting thing. So yeah, and apart from the tour and stuff, like that's obvious. Yeah. But um, have they announced the live streams officially for um, August? Yeah, for the movie theater. Yeah, yeah. I think I I think I feel like I just got an email about it the other day. So it'll be, I think it's like August 18th or something like that. The weekend, whatever that weekend is in August is uh, the M72 live stream. They're doing both nights too. 
Yeah. Like it's going to be a Friday night in theaters, then a Sunday night in theaters, um, which is really interesting. I'm looking at <laughs> They show that at the end of, um, you know, the listening party. You know, yeah, they, yeah. I, and I go, I go to my bud, I, I go to my buddy, I'm like, like, ah, oh, shit, we got to come back here in August. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, so broadcast from Arlington, Texas, AT&T Stadium, which I assume is... Oh, no, there are a lot of AT&T Stadiums. I'm just, like, imagining it being the same as, like, a WrestleMania Stadium, but I think... I think it was. I think, I think, I think WrestleMania was. was there just... Oh, maybe... Yeah, I don't know. Oh, no, this, know. this year it was in Los Angeles, but... um. Oh, hey, again, like the WWE, <laughs> they're doing two nights in a row in yes. stadiums. Yes, yes. Yeah. They're too big for one night. Mm, facts. Mm-hmm. Wait, so it is broadcast live, which is interesting. Um, August 18 and 20. Um, please note some screenings will be time shifted to suit local time zones. Um, don't get me started on... <laughs> <laughs> your favorite theory. your favorite topic yeah <laughs> oh that does make sense yeah. Yeah. well Exciting. I'll, I'll probably be watching both even though it's in the middle of like a film festival in melbourne as well i you know? I, I mean i'm sure I, i'll be going to the show like two weeks before then mm. might as well go to the movie theaters and relive yeah and and, and especially if um you know we'll see how different the sets are from city to city see like two weeks later in arlington maybe it's a completely different show than i saw maybe it's the same i don't know it'll be interesting to see i'm looking for the set list i'm looking forward to living this album more i'm looking forward to hearing these songs live um and now marada i'm not expecting that to make the set list too many times but i think they pull it out once or twice as like a special treat maybe near the end of the tour um and it's a very exciting time to be a Metallica fan. And I think this was the perfect time to bring back Metalcast after a, a few months away. And hopefully I will be uh, coming at you with uh, more more consistent content. I'll leave it at that. Have you planned um, upcoming episodes yet? I have. Um, next episode is in the works, not officially booked but in the works um and uh beyond that no but um i'm waiting to see what what happens and uh what comes up and you know maybe we'll do some tour reviews maybe we will go in a completely different direction than 72 seasons the world is our oyster yeah you know what i feel like this album release has really like shifted my um perception of like what Metallicast is to a degree because um obviously like you've always talked about like current events in Metallica yeah. but you spend a lot of time like reflecting on older things and like yeah. different perspectives and stuff but um it really feels like like now is the time and the thing yeah huh? and mentally you know I don't I mean right now like in this moment I don't have an interest in like going backwards really because i'm so enjoying like what's happening right now um and like what's coming up ahead so we'll 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 see what comes up for topics but like um you know i think that's i think metallica is like the perfect band to do a podcast about 
because mm-hmm. you have 40 years of material of stuff that like has never been not popular and they're still making relevant new stuff. Mm-hmm. So like there's just literally endless stuff to talk about. By the way, has anybody ever have ever had a run like this from like a commercial Perfect. standpoint? Please. Like just like I feel like so many bands like like a Queen and Aerosmith, they all had like a little dip in like mm-hmm. commercial success. And then they, you know, they the book ended with like massive success. But I I can't think of any band that for like you know, 40 plus years has just been like on top. I think like the closest is probably you two, but also like there are very obvious times where the stock has dipped. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't currently feel like they're on a peak the same way that Metallica are. Yeah. I, I was thinking the same thing because they crossed my mind, but I'm like, but if you two came out with a new album, I mean, they have. I think they're like currently like you know just announced some dates and stuff. But it, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm also not like in the YouTube community like I am in the Metallica community, obviously. Mm-hmm. But it just didn't seem to be have the same, uh, you know, impact on the mm-hmm. on the world. I feel like when Metallica releases a new song, like everybody stops and takes notice, mm-hmm. whether they like it or not. It's a different conversation, yeah. but. But uh, it's mm-hmm. it's it's interesting. It's uh, I mean, there are bigger artists like you know you can say the Beatles are bigger, but they had a short like eight mm-hmm. year run. You know, that's true. Yeah. Um, Rolling Stones have like always been a big touring act, but they've never they haven't had like you know sixty years of like commercial success. Mm. You know, it's it's. Like, Iron Maiden have been fairly consistent, but that's more purely in the metal world. Right, it's not the same crossover appeal. And they also had, you know, the Blaze Bailey years, and then yeah. I remember when Bruce Dixon first came back, they were playing, like, theaters. They had not, like, gone back to arenas right away. Ah. So, like, they took, like, a little yeah. they took a little dip there, too. Yeah. Which had more to do with, like, the state of metal than, like, yes. the right. state of Iron Maiden. That's another you know, amazing thing about Metallica. Like, I feel like no matter what happens in the mainstream, they're always Mm. part of the mainstream. It's kind of just, no matter how many people hate St. Anger or Lulu, (laughs) the next album still sells crazy and they still sell stadiums. You know, it's like Mm. this weird thing where people just, I guess it's just a loyal fan base, you know, Mm. but, but it was just a, something that I was thinking of with like the, the, the new album cycle now. I'm like, I can't think of too many bands. Forty plus years have never really had like a dip in success, and like mm. are still relevant. Despite what some may argue about certain albums, yes, they well, big the entire. You can hate well. Saint Anger, but mm-hmm. it debuted at number one and sold millions of copies. Uh-huh. So, like from a commercial standpoint, it was not as successful as other Metallica albums, but it was still a massive, massively successful album. Yeah, and I would say, A, that a lot of the people who bought it did actually enjoy it. Yeah. That that is established. It, um, I'm not going to go into percentages or anything. Mm-hmm. That's fact. And B, they also, like, they maintained their relevance during the new metal era. Yeah. Um, they were doing some sanitarium, like yeah. MTV icon. Um, 
Yeah, I don't know who else had that priest in. Maiden didn't. Yeah. Maiden didn't, yeah. It's uh, it's interesting. Mm. One day Lots books of- will be written about this. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of books, I just finished the Tony Iommi Iron Man um, memoir. Yeah. It's it's fun. It's written. It, it feels like it wasn't edited at all, and he just like <laughs> narrated every single like life story he has to someone yeah. who also like didn't ask follow up questions or anything. Right. So they just took it's it just all like, down. Yeah. It's just like yeah, we we were at heaven and hell. That was a pretty cool riff. Um, Ronnie was really enthusiastic <laughs> that day. Um, Bill, you know, wasn't or whatever. It's like you know, like like 60 chapters yeah. of that also like very charming because he is just like a humble dude from Birmingham who just does yeah. his thing right you know yeah yeah <laughs> and he gets that like generational shift yeah of fans um like including like Metallica you notice when like all these people start popping up for the first time yeah and like when like the grunge bands start paying their respects to Sabbath mm-hmm. um really fascinating Really fascinating. Yeah, I'll have to check it out. I've never read that one. It, it's an easy read. You'll finish it in like a week or something. But yeah. Yeah. Hmm. I'll add it to my list. Hmm. When I when I when I finally slow down my listening to seventy two seasons, I will. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, is this this probably is like one of the best driving albums of all time? Hey. Speaking it is. It's down. it's a great driving yeah, album. Yeah, I gotta. I, I gotta be like, oh, I'm you know twenty over. I better slow down. <laughs> I think the best driving album of all time is probably Rain and Blood, but that's like not as like that. That's a bit more situational. Yeah, you know? I will. I say, don't want to hear that in traffic. Even though it's not the same BPMs throughout. Um, Appetite for Destruction, great driving album too. That's very true. Yeah, it's a good driving. Also, album. Rush Moving Pictures, fucking slaps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good one too. Feels everywhere. Yeah. What is your favorite driving album? Reach us at Metallicast. <laughs> Kristen, where can everybody find you? I'm on everywhere, um, but especially Twitter and Instagram at Kristen is she. Um, what am I writing about these days? I don't know. I, don't know. <laughs> I have like on, uh, I I have like a really big piece about an early synthesizer icon that has been edited for like two months yeah. or something. So that surely has to come out soon, but that's like, um, that's like a San Anger level deep dive actually. So yeah, it's going to be a fun one. All right. Hmm. Well, you know, I will always, uh, share your latest writings with the, with the masses. Um, Ooh. so find Kristen. I see, look up the links in the episode description. Find her review of 72 Seasons. Find her on social media and Twitter and Instagram, correct? Yes, 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 yes. And you can follow at MetallicastBot on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Huge shout out to um, my favorite one-man band, Bison, who is uh, responsible for... uh, the intro music, or my entrance music, as I like to call it, um, <laughs> WWE style. And uh, until next time, uh, new episode coming at you, hopefully, in the next few weeks here. So stay tuned. 
Um, I think I plugged everything I need to plug. Hmm? 72 seasons. Welcome, won't you come inside? Build up your ass. Yeah. Seventy-two seasons gone. All right, I'm done now. All right, bye. Fans not experts.